You're listening to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, episode 78. Hello and welcome to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, where we discuss not only who or what might be driving your life, but also the great views and experiences along the way. Do you drive in the fast lane like my wife, or do you feel like you're stuck in first gear? You only get one life to live, and it can be either a total wreck or a beautiful cruise into the sunset. We are three friends that have collectively experienced almost anything that could possibly happen in this crazy world, and we'll be discussing our personal reflections and experiences so hopefully you can avoid running out of gas and truly enjoy the wind blowing in your hair. So hop on in with us for a little road trip called life, and let's discuss who's driving your car. Aye! What's well, Crackin' Lackin' Podcast World? Welcome back to Who's Driving Your Car, episode 78. rat tat tat We are excited. Today we have a guest with us, uh, U.S. Army Chaplain Justin Roberts, and we're going to let him tell you a little bit about himself, but a little brief, brief background. Um, served in Afghanistan, um, has witnessed many, many things in his life that I think will be um, worth sharing and talking about today. Um, also his journey to becoming a chaplain in the army and he created movie documentary um, called no greater love um, which john is actually the reason that you're probably sitting here my man um he's very fired up about it saw it himself um so we're welcome aboard happy to have you thanks man i'm glad to be here yeah and i got to give a special thanks to uh your dally um she's uh, a young lady that i know that recommended you so uh, gracias, Senora Porasu Ayuda. <laughs> no Craig today. Uh, we are missing our buddy Craig. Uh, he's with us in spirit, though, but uh, CC's uh, having to, to tend to a couple other things here. Um, but I'm glad you could bring in some Spanish to the action for Craig, John. Well, that was for your dolly. Uh, she's uh, Puerto Rican of Puerto Rican descent, so she struggles with her own Spanish. But anyway, I like to give her a hard time about it. <laughs> Well, look, uh, Justin, we are really happy to have you along. Yeah. Why don't you maybe give the listeners a little bit of a uh, word about yourself, your, you know, yeah. uh, how you uh, got to be where you are today, so to speak, maybe in a few minutes or so. I, I drove over here. <laughs> the, uh, got in my car, cranked <laughs> it up, car. turned a little bit. Yeah, the, uh, I was going to say, uh, first, I'm a former Army chaplain, so I'm no longer serving, which is why I didn't wake up so early this morning, and that's wonderful. The... Uh, um, that's the best feeling once you get out of the military. It's like, I don't have to get a haircut and I don't have to wake up. So, uh, no, I, just a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where to begin. You know, it's like, uh, where should I start? Well, you're originally from Texas. Is that originally correct? from Texas. That's yeah. right. I, I just remembered that. No, the, uh, <laughs> the cows, the cows. Yeah. yeah. So I'm from originally from Stephenville, Texas and, uh, born and raised there. And that's cowboy capital of the world. It's, it's cow country. Um, you know, we're always afraid the cows are going to revolt because they outnumber us. And, uh, so, but wonderful place to grow up and it's small town, Texas, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but growing up there, uh, my father was a drug dealer. It was a rough childhood. And so really rough kind of guy. Um, uh, shortly after he had done multiple suicide attempts Mm -hmm. and so he really struggled mentally. After one of those suicide attempts, uh, he permanently brain damaged himself. He was in a coma for six months. Wow. And I myself was struggling from everything I had been through as a kid. And going through that, then I was really at my end, too, after I found out his attempt and where he was because we thought that he was going to die. And I was like, well, if that's all there is to this life, then I don't want to continue on. Mm. And so I was trying to figure out how to kill myself because, you know, you're 13. You don't really know. Um, but before he had left town, uh, he got a local church to give me a Bible because I'm figuring he's just like, well, I want to give him something good. So, uh, I started going through that Bible and a lady who I had never met, I don't even know her name, but she took the time to write at the beginning of the Bible. Don't try to go through all this all at once. Because, you know, she knew that it was going to a 13-year-old kid. Yeah. Kind of get lost in Deuteronomy, you know, <laughs> then you're done. And then, I don't want religion. You know, it's boring. That's because of Deuteronomy. But De- the... Uh, Deuteronomy what? <laughs> yeah. So, so but the uh, she took the time to kind of walk me through uh, 
uh, the Roman roads. And these are just verses about, you know, being lost and, and salvation. And I'm not going to go into all of that right now, but um, after I went through all the verses she told me to go through at the end of it, she just wrote me a letter on how to accept Christ into my heart. And it was from that point forward that I was a Christian and I had hope. Uh, for me, that was a 180. For me, that was a switch that was flipped. And it was from that point forward that I knew God was my father. And from there, though, uh, the way that I got to the chaplaincy is my grandfather served uh, during the occupation of Japan, Korea, uh, where he saw a good bit of combat, and then Vietnam, the beginning. And so served in three wars. It's always a big male role model in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I knew I wanted to go to the military, and I knew I wanted to go in the ministry. And so that's how I became a chaplain. Um, but my second master's is in media arts and communications, uh, focused in writing. And I've always loved storytelling. I always loved film, writing, novel writing, anything. And uh, so I didn't know how that passion and this calling were going to mix together. I had no clue. Um, but chaplains are not allowed to carry weapons into combat. And so I was given permission to carry a camera. And so we went out on the operations. But to kind of back that up a little bit, my second day on the job, uh, we had our first suicide in my unit. Mm. And then a week later, we had another one. And then a couple months later, we had another one. And a couple months later, we had another one. And we also had weekly suicide attempts or gestures every single week for the first six months after I got there. So in 2009, this was the most suicidal battalion in the military, which at that time was also the number one killer of service members, not the Taliban, not Al-Qaeda, suicide. So this is our number one threat. Mm. Um, so for me, um, this brought back so much stuff from my own childhood. I was like, well, here's a familiar beast. Here's something I've seen before. Um, I knew that I was exactly where I was supposed to be at that moment after that suicide and which is is weird and it's really tragic but kind of i was like okay this is where god's brought me and I, I know what this is um so we wound up developing a program and i'm not going to get into that because we'd be here for over several hours but we went up developing up a program called warrior's keeper which was focused on just helping dudes feel like they have permission to talk that is almost always the biggest barrier like if I'm struggling with something, I can't tell anybody because they're going to judge me. Um, so we focused on that, shifting the culture. Because you couldn't predict who was suicidal. I mean, like the, the first guy who had to commit suicide, his nickname was Smiley. We literally had no targeting system. Right. So you have to shift the entire culture in order to reduce the numbers. And the first step is just the first barrier is getting it to where people feel like they can talk. Then once they talk getting connected to resources that are going to work and be effective. So we did that. Um, long story short, you know, we had the suicides, problems, and issues. Then we had a very traumatic deployment, 18 killed in action, 200 Purple Hearts out of an 800-man unit. It was very kinetic, a lot of combat. Um, just getting shot at every other day. The expectation was, since we were suicidal on the front end, we had all that combat. When we came back, we were going to be more suicidal and have more issues. Instead, we had zero suicides and a 70% reduction in suicidal ideations. And it wasn't because they just had a good-looking chaplain. They didn't have that. But <laughs> the it was, they were talking to each other. Brotherhood works. You know, sisterhood works. These human connections are the most critical aspect. And, and we are still working to figure that out. But it was the way they, once they gave each other permissions to work through these issues they started talking and connecting and supporting each other. So um, while we were doing that, uh, before we deployed, let me back it up. And I'm sorry for this thought train, but no, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Keep on we're, here's, yeah, here's a sign. We're going to do a U-turn real quick. Um, one of my mentors was a, a grizzled first sergeant named Randy Wright. And uh, just tough as nails kind of dude, but he had a reputation that of being one of the best first sergeants. He, genuinely cared about his soldiers 
It's like if he found out one of his soldiers was about to have a baby and couldn't afford the furniture, he goes and buys the furniture. He would do all these kind of secretive things. And then those soldiers would always wind up telling me, and he always told the soldiers, don't tell nobody. But then they'd tell the chaplain. And so, <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I learned more about being a chaplain from him than anybody else. Uh, he sincerely cared. He was salty. He was crass. He, he was tough. But his heart, he would die for his soldiers. And that is the most Christ-like thing I know. And so uh, he gave me a lot of mentorship because I just wasn't that great of a soldier. I mean, I showed up to my first training exercise with my helmet cover on backwards. Oh, my God. <laughs> and and my, my body kit, like all the, the you know stuff on it, looking like a Picasso. <laughs> and uh, so he pulled me under his wing and he soldiered me up. And uh, when I asked him how I should go about the deployment, he's like, you know, we've got all these suicides. Me connecting wasn't just a nice thing. Oftentimes it was a thing between life and death. If you don't connect and they continue to go down that road, then suicide happens or something else or a murder. And so when people snap, people snap. Mm -hmm. So he's like, if you really want to connect with the guys, go out with each platoon at least once on a mission and be there to the front during major operations. And so, um, before I deployed, we talked about it and that became how I decided to do it. So I was going to go out on the missions because the second you went on the mission and experienced combat with them, your counseling load shot up. And this was the most critical hour to do those counselings in the midst of it. So I did that. That was my entire deployment. But since I couldn't carry a weapon, uh, I talked to the battalion commander and he gave me permission to carry a camera. And he's like, sure, just don't get shot. And uh, <laughs> I was like, uh, I saluted him. I was like, I'll do my best. <laughs> and so that became so that would, my would plan. Give rise to your, your movie that's currently out. Yeah. No Netflix. greater love. That's how it came together. It was, um, the purpose of it and priority of it was to connect. But since, you know, I, I didn't have a weapon, it, I had the ability to, to shoot and capture some of the moments. And when there wasn't chaplain stuff going on, um, I could capture the battles and uh, also the process of coming home. So I have a question for you. When you're saying, whenever you joined the Army, did you go in as through the chaplain program? I might be saying mm -hmm. that wrong, and that was the yeah. intention going in, or did you actually serve as a soldier first for a little while? I was, I was enlisted during college to finish college, and but I knew I was going to become a chaplain. And so the second I finished college, got my bachelor's, and was accepted to seminary, I got into the chaplain candidate program. Okay, so you go through a seminary program. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so okay. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and um, I would do summer drills doing the Officer Basic Corps, and uh, also doing practicums. So going to different military bases just to learn. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Brook Army Medical Hospital going out there doing the emergency medical ministry course and working with burn victims amputees. So at what point did they tell you you can't carry a weapon, or did you know that going That's in? That's by order. Yeah, it's by order of chief of chaplains. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, I knew that. I wasn't that worried about it, though. I didn't stress out that much. I mean, like, you're, you're with a, a unit that's pretty squared away. So, yeah, you'll be all right. You talked earlier about the, uh, the brotherhood that goes on between the— the military men, and uh, that was something that certainly came through in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's the. I think that's the essence of what. I mean, like you know, the the film is about, but to me, also what the military experience is about. You know, you're with a group of people that, for the most part, you know will fight and die for you. If you're out there wounded on the battlefield, you know that they're going to fight tooth and nail to get to you, risking their lives for you. And, um, you know, even some of them dying to get to you. So that is so hard when you get back into the civilian world because you're like, you don't know how to quantify that. There's no way to test it, to know. Um, but when you're with a tribe of people like that, you belong. You are connected. You um, you have full faith and trust in them, and there's just an incredible level of transparency. And so that is the strongest element in our fighting force, you know, because behind every single act of valor I saw was that selfless love. 
and that comes from that's why I named the film No Greater Love. You know, it comes from John fifteen thirteen. Um, no greater love has any man than this that he lays down his life for his friends. And so that willingness to lay down their lives, I mean, that's at the the heart of brotherhood. So that that was the most impressive. Did I quote that scripture right? John fifteen thirteen. I think I got the address right. Sounded right to me. My <laughs> brain is not <laughs> active. <laughs> yeah, editor, check that for me. The, uh, but no, that's that is the uh, the essence of it, and it's. Um, I think it's at the heart of everything that we search for and want. You know, this is every human being is built with that chip of desire to connect in that way, and with our spouses, with our friends. With our family, we want to reach that selfless love, uh, but that's the hardest journey that we go through. And the reason that people who go through traumatic experiences uh, and bond in those moments um, reach that faster is because it's being tested. You know, you, you're you're seeing where they stand with you, and um, so yeah, that that was pretty apparent. Um, you know, watching the film and seeing. The people who were catastrophically injured yeah. uh, had gone home, you know, probably could have easily got discharged and not gone oh, yeah. back. And they were back before. I mean, I was just shocked at how fast some of these guys were back in action with y'all on the front line. So that was just amazing. You know, you couldn't keep them back. Yeah, they they did whatever it took. They fought. They lied to doctors. They, they, <laughs> they, yeah, I mean, like they really rolled the dice in a lot of ways just to come back to us. But it was amazing for the morale. Like when they came back, because it was close to Christmas, and then these dudes that we just thought were gone, you know, that on the battlefield we thought that they were dead even, and um, then they turn right back up, and they then you find out their journeys to come back to us. I was like, man, it's like where do you find people like that? It's so hard, um, but just good dudes, you know. And uh, then their performance on the battlefield after they got back was just incredible too. You know, like one of the guys, Captain Mont. Um, yeah, he was the one that had one of the really, yeah, really bad injuries. Fell down the Gosh. mountain, had a head, pretty severe yeah. head injury. Um, and how how quickly was he back? It's like it's like, it was like five months, six months, and like, and <laughs> wow. I actually use some of my mid tour leave to go visit him over at Brook army medical hospital with my wife. And, um, you know, he was just so roughed up, you know, it was still like some pretty bad scars. Um, uh, so he really did everything it took to come back. And, you know, I went out with the commander and Mott on a mission just to kind of see how he's doing, see if he can physically handle the missions and stuff, but also to kind of just, watch him and observe him to see if he's going to be mentally there and he was he was squared away and then uh so the commander put him in charge of a platoon that wound up becoming one of the lead platoons in one of the largest operations in the afghan war so he became the tip of the spear and the clearing element in one of the largest battles and so i was like man that journey is just insane you know, for him to go, getting shot in the head, rolling 11 stories down a mountain, you know, shipped back to the U.S., going through so much pain to get himself healthy enough to come back and then to roll the dice again in one of the larger battles. That's just, um, yeah, yeah grit, it was, man. It was something that was really impressive. Uh, and I believe there was another story about a young man whose brother was killed in action and he yeah. went home and yeah. um, he had the option to not go back and he chose to go back and continue yeah. to serve. Yeah, and my, my favorite quote from him was like, you know, when I asked him, why did you come back? He's like, well, I lost one brother, but I had 30 other brothers I had to get back to. And he decided that he was going to come back even before he set foot on American soil. You know, he escorted his own brother's body home so he could attend the funeral. Um... That, I think, was the hardest mission of, you know, the war for anybody. I mean, to escort your own brother's body home. But he had just, like, a clear sight of what he wanted to do. And he wound up coming back and asked for permission to take his brother's place in his brother's platoon so he could mm -hmm. finish it for him. And that's what he did. Yeah. So cool. And I, I believe just, like, listening to this from your own self, the people you've served with were been around the human spirit. Uh, we yeah. talk about that uh, a lot on the podcast and the, the drive, the within. And can you maybe speak to some of that that you saw out there within just, 
human beings and some of our purposes on earth and how strong the human spirit can be, especially in this situation with a brotherhood yeah. of other people kind of building that for you. You know, and it's, I think that it, it comes down to having a definitive purpose. Like what are you driving towards mm-hmm. and like knowing that, but I've never really heard of a person having a powerful purpose that wasn't connected to love in some way. Like it has to be something that you truly are passionate about. Um, I think out there, I don't, I don't know how motivating like somebody who has a selfish purpose is. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's some people do, but the, uh, the stuff that inspires me and the stuff that I've seen, like make a powerful difference is it when it is connected out of love, like I'm willing to fight and die for these people and I'm going to do whatever it takes to help them care for them, you know, love them. And, um, yeah, that's, I think that that's what drives everything. And it kind of gets into like, you know, the Victor Frankl man search for meaning, you know, um, just for the audience that might not know the stories, but Victor Frankl, he was, yeah, let's share this. Yes. He was a, a, a Jewish, uh, psychiatrist, um, just before, uh, the breakout of world war two, he got his doctorate degree. He had finished his dissertation and then, uh, the Nazis had taken power, he was Jewish, so of course he was thrown in the concentration camps, but he was allowed to live because he was a doctor and he could provide counseling for the German soldiers. So they let him live. Well, as he was going through the experience, he was watching, you know, the prisoners in the concentration camp start to divide up into two different groups. Some of them were becoming more animalistic, cruel, stealing from each other, lying to each other, being brutal to each other, you know, making hell even worse. And then he saw on this other side, these groups of people who were becoming more noble, more selfless, giving away their last piece of bread, doing whatever it took to save each other's lives and just becoming more saintly. And he watched that divide happen. And what he was wondering is what's causing this divide. He's seeing a very, two different groups definitely split. And he thought, well, maybe it's religion, but there was Jews, Christians, you know, all different kinds of groups on one side and the same on the other. Um, he thought maybe it was socioeconomic backgrounds, but there was rich and poor on one side and the same on the other. The only thing that he saw was the major difference was when he asked the, the side that was kind of fallen away, what is your purpose? They could never say what that one thing is. But the other side, they could always say what their purpose was. What are you driving for? What are you striving for? And sometimes it was God. Sometimes it was family. You know, it was always a thing. But they could always define it. Well, he, he wound up uh, getting out of the concentration camp, surviving. And he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, it became a major branch in counseling psychology. You know, if you go for counseling right now, you're probably going to get logotherapy, that therapy he, he came up with. You'll get some variation of it. Um, and so much of counseling practice now has been designed around figuring out your purpose. And so with the unit that I went to that was struggling with the suicides, that became a part, big part of our conversations. Just because you join the military doesn't mean it's your purpose. Absolutely. A lot of times it's just a chapter in your life. Uh, you want to serve, you want to do something, then you want to move on. But what is that purpose? What are you driving for? The reason so many soldiers struggle when they get out of the military is because they lost their purpose. You know, they, they were a high-speed sniper, you know, doing amazing things in the military. Everything they did was significant and, and deadly and you know, lives were dependent on their actions and then they get back and they are who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually, I don't, I can't relate on that level, but I struggled with that in my own life. I played baseball all the way through college and that was like my identity, you're, my purpose. Yes. You get done with that and you're like, man, what am I doing here? Who am I? Exactly. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of tips, et cetera, would you give? And I know we probably can't delve way down the line into that. Um, when you would do some of the, it, so you were a chaplain, but you also did a lot of counseling with the soldiers. It's 80% like. of what chaplains do is pastoral counseling. Very cool. Um, yeah. what, how would you help those find their purpose even, or identity within these realms. You know, as I think the first thing is like researching your own passions again. Like, what what gives you joy? What do you enjoy? Um, what are you inspired by? It's going to be different for everybody. And so, but there's always a thing. You know, every single person is born with some innate purpose in their lives because they're born with passions. 
they're born with interests. They're born with hobbies that they are just insanely, you know, good at or enjoy and that they can just sit and do, you know, day in and day out. So, so much of it is connecting with that, but then it's asking the question, how can I make a difference with this thing? You know, how am I going to change the world in some way with what I do? And not trying to change it for, you know, six billion people, but making a difference in somebody's life. And so connecting in with that, you know, one of the sayings that uh, came from him was a person who has a why can overcome any how. And so whatever challenges you're facing, understanding that once you connect in with your purpose, um, you're usually able to overcome those difficult things. You know, whether you're facing addictions, depression, stress, disease, I'm not saying it's going to cure you, but it's going to help you find your hope and your significance in the midst of it. And that's the most critical thing. And so um, I think it's a journey. Yeah. So one of the other things, uh, going back to the film that you did, um, No Greater Love, one of the things that stuck out for me is you said you learned more about America on the mountaintops uh, than you ever did here. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's... It's kind of like a, a weird, I don't know if you would call it culture shock or reverse culture shock, but you go from this place where you, you have these dudes from every race, background, and religion, you know, who have come together. All the things that are serious and, and like controversial issues here are punchlines over there. It's just jokes. Nobody cares, right. you know, and so it doesn't matter where you're coming from, who you are. If you're in this tribe, you're willing to fight and die for each other. So you just don't care about all the side differences. And you go through that experience and you witness people who are willing to fight and die for each other. That, to me, was the most American thing I ever witnessed. And I understood the heart of what this country is supposed to be about, at least in my head. You know, the the idea of this type of unity and these ideals that's the only place I really ever saw it personified. And then you come back here and you see such petty divisions and it's so infuriating. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wish I had a, a great inspiring thing to say after that, <laughs> but it's kind of depressing, honestly. Yeah. It's like, man, there's, there's, it's what we could be. And I think that's the value of veterans coming back yeah. is they had these experiences as they are entering into the business world, leadership positions, politics, if they are able to carry that on into the next chapter, then we might have a shot at coming back together as a country. And we need to. Yeah, because, I, yeah. I had read that um, on the website. I think that exact thing y'all are talking mm-hmm. about, about you know um, the backgrounds, religions, etc. And I was thinking it really is a true um, showing of us all being made in God's image and likeness mm-hmm. to some degree. And all yeah. you strip down the rest of... Yeah, the petty divisions, as you're saying, yes. and the, the, yeah. that we deal with on a daily. You you probably really got to see you know human beings being human beings in God's yeah. image out there at their at their core. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it, and then people value each other to that level. You know, um, that 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 was a, a tough experience coming home. You know, because then it's uh, back to the world of selfishness and greed, and um, you know, it is kind of weird when you're. In a war zone, you have some of these elements of heaven. So it's just glimpses, you know, that, wow, if only we could actually get along like this. Mm. I'm not saying that was always perfect. Sure. It's just a bunch of vulgar, violent soldiers. <laughs> you know, but, the, uh, um, but at the heart, you know, the care, it's rare. And, and so it's like, yeah, it's like trying to figure out how to craft that back home. I think that's our next challenge in our next chapter. You know, we're in the midst of history. We're coming home from America's longest war. Uh, it's a generation of people who have been fighting for two decades. Uh, we have some amazing leaders coming back, and they might prove to be our most critical group, you know, as they transition home because they have proven what they stand for, they they know what they stand for, and they understand that sense of unity and being able to look past differences, and also understanding that so much of the stuff that we argue about is BS. It's false. It's worthless. Mm-hmm. 
and that we don't have to fight. Um, yeah, so that's that's my hope. Yeah, one of the things that I was uh, that struck me during watching the film was um, the tight knit community of those soldiers, uh, particularly in the units. Uh, and but one of the other things was their closed off uh, nature to the outside, uh, maybe their family members or things like yeah. that, because there's a seemed to very, be a very strong feeling of, well, they weren't there. They can't relate. They won't understand. Yeah, some, sometimes it's like, yeah, I think there's that, but it's also, it's like, you don't want to spread the poison, you know, like you, you go through something traumatic. You don't want to be telling everybody about it because it's traumatic, you know, and you start cracking jokes, but the, um, I, I even went through that because like the, uh, just some dark humor. And that's how you process it. That's how you deal with it and like keep your sanity is with just dark humor. But then you come back and you bring that dark humor back. And then, you know, an aunt who's listening to you <laughs> tell a story is not finding it as funny, you know, be, once you start breaking into the graphic nature. And then you're just standing at a party and they're just looking at you wide eyed. You're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, I've gone off the deep end. So, so then it's like, you're aware of that. And it's like, okay, I, um, I need to watch what I say. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it is difficult. And you know, what's weird though, it's like you, you're part of the traumatized community. You know, you're not alone in this. It's like, so police officers and firefighters, they experience a lot of that stuff too, mm-hmm. with the amount of stuff that they've seen and been through. So there's actually an opportunity to connect with those tribes. Um, they'll get where you're coming from and why you're sometimes a little bit off. And, uh, that for me is like, why? Uh, when I connected with my buddy Hank, you know, he's a former um, combat medic and started doing daily calls with him because he understood what I went through. And chaplains and medics actually work a lot together on the battlefield. So, you know, when worse has come to worse, then you might see us. <laughs> You'd rather see him than me. So if the chaplain's coming over, you might get a little worried. Yeah. yeah. What about some of the, like, you see some you've seen some rough stuff suicide some gruesome mm-hmm. happenings out there to still uh, have the mindset of faith in god's plan um the, yeah. the the bigger picture of life things like that and and still having a positive outlook or for for anybody who's probably served and been in those gruesome situations in life yeah. where you see you know human beings in rough spots so to speak you know it's the i don't think my I don't think I ever had a phase where there wasn't some sort of trauma mm-hmm. in my life. That sounds so tragic. <laughs> yeah, you're going somebody can somebody play like a violin while I'm talking, <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, it's so depressing. <laughs> but so with that being said, when I entered into war, it wasn't that far of an extension of what I had already experienced, mm. you know, so abuse and trauma, um, neglect and isolation, um, and then here's war, <laughs> you know, right. so, so it's like, yeah, it's kind of a natural progression of it, but, um, I had already, I, I, I know some guys go through this questioning of God, you know, when they go through war, I never really went through that because I can never, um, my faith was not cultural. Uh, I wasn't just immersed and raised in it. Um, it wasn't handed down to me. It it was just an experience with him. And, uh, just that core experience is where my faith is at. So I can't deny that I know him. Um, I sense him. I I pray to him. I I just know he's there. And so it's like the, uh, so it doesn't matter all the stuff that happens in life. Um, you know, the, this, the storms are always going to come as we know here in Louisiana. <laughs> and so, so that doesn't, that doesn't change where I'm at with him. Cause I know who he is and uh, I sense his presence in my life. And so that helped me to process what I went through. It helped me in my journey home. I uh, went through a lot of dark times when I got home, but he's still here with me and I'm still trying to do what I feel is his leading in my life. And so, yeah, that's why I'm still here in Lake Charles <laughs> to experience <laughs> all this. Around, let's have some. My more. gosh, yeah. You, know, you were talking about some of the counseling sessions and uh, trying to get the dialogue started. Uh, you know, being in a group setting, having people who would look towards the 
maybe higher ranked or more alpha yeah. type person. Yeah. Um, do you think that happens in general society also? Absolutely. I mean, we're, you know, women have their issues and guys, we have our issues and, and it's a different group dynamic. Uh, we look to each other for permission to talk about our issues. Um, if one doesn't open up, then it's feeling like, oh, I might be judged if I say something. And I won't use crass language on here, but you know how it is. I mean, it, it's, it's, it just kind of comes out and so afraid of looking weak. Uh, we literally, very literally have guys who would rather die and do than share their struggles because they don't want to look weak. Mm-hmm. So that's why we still have, I think suicide is still the leading killer of service members and it's 20 plus per day in the veteran population. So we will see 20 plus per day suicides mm-hmm. in our vets today and tomorrow and the next day. And we haven't seen a drop in that number and everything we've done for the last 20 years has not had a a movement on the dial of reducing it. And it's in large part because we're trying to handle it just as an individual medical issue rather than a cultural issue. We have to have a shift in culture to deal with the medical issue, to address it, to get them to counseling, two things. It's not that we don't have uh, good solutions once we know who it is. We just don't never, they don't come forth. And uh, that is where our biggest issue is at is our targeting systems. Being able to find it, shift the culture, get them to come forward. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I answered the question. <laughs> I think kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I answered another question yeah. though. Y'all should have asked that question. That's the question I wanted. That's generally how the, this works anyway. You just talk about whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. What about um? You mindset? see what I'm on fire for though, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. What about mindset? Do you the the play that mindset and how powerful the mind can be for from a positive or a negative standpoint in getting people through all yeah. of us sitting here through struggles in our own gosh. Mind? The you know what it's like the I think there's a couple of things like uh, I don't like false positive. I I think that whenever we are going through mourning, we go through mourning and embrace it. We give ourselves, you know, uh, chapters in our lives to to grieve, to mourn, to hurt, to cry, um, and then, you know, we have to move forward, and you know, towards hope. And there should never be a point where we lose hope, mm-hmm. or- uh, because there's, yeah, there's never a point where we lose God. You know, that's our final destination. No matter what, we're probably all going to die horrible, painful deaths. <laughs> this life is way too short. And we're going to miss out on so many precious moments of our kids and grandkids and great grandkids, you know, because we died. And, uh, you know, there's all this awful, tragic stuff that's going to happen. And that's okay. Because it always happens to everybody and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, I think it's amazing <laughs> for those of you not here. He is literally just saying this with a smile on no, his face. No, yes. Like, it's, yes. It's pretty I want everybody stuff. here listening to, like, get really depressed. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it is. The outlook is amazing. But it's, it's, it's our reality. It and like, is. Yeah. Right. All psychosis comes from an inability to accept reality. And so once we know that our final destination is an amazing, loving, perfect holy God who cares about us, loves us as the source of all love. And we're going back to that source and that this is just a phase, you know, we're passing, we're slipping through this world and that nothing is ever really over. You know, these, uh, my daughter was asking me, what is heaven like? And I was like, I don't know, but I think it's kind of just, you know, she, she was sitting on my lap and I was like, it has to be something like this. Because this is so perfect to me. I can't imagine beyond this, just holding my kids and being with my wife. And the uh, so I know in my heart that that's the connection to it all. That's where we go. And it's going to be even better than that. So that's where my hope's at. And that's why I don't have this um, loss of hope that bottoms me out. I struggle with depression. I struggle with a lot of things. Uh, I've been through a lot. But the I, I haven't lost my target, so I keep marching. And um, I'm sure God has more for me because I, I, mean, I moved to Louisiana and then everything we just went through. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, honestly, like, you, you buy your first home after leaving the war. You're, you're, str- <laughs> you're at the bottom, like, struggling with depression, like, going through this dark period after I released the movie. I just bottomed out. And I was like, okay, I'm finally, I, I've got my first home. 
you know, okay, we're finally piecing our lives together, and then smack, and then smack again, <laughs> and then a freeze, and then a, a, flood. a flood. I'm like, <laughs> God, what are you doing? The uh, and and that's uh, that's how we started our series, uh, our YouTube series, Do Good. It was in the midst of that, and I found yourself a new goal a new destination yeah new passion i was like well it it seems like you know i i find myself in awesome awful situations and then i pick up a camera and start <laughs> telling a story and i was like uh so from war to disasters um i was it was actually before hurricane laura two days before that i was in texas with my buddy hank we had met at the uh veteran inaugural ball when trump took office no politics. We didn't know who was going to be winning. We just were asked to come. And so I went out there to do the invocation and he was doing the music. He's the lead singer for the rock band three beards. And, uh, he had been on his own journey, um, attempted suicide, but wound up surviving. Mm. And so went through a lot of rough stuff while he was telling me his backstory. And I was like, man, I'm going to shoot music videos for you until you're famous. (laughs) I was like, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm in. So I'd been doing that. We've been shooting music videos. And well, we started this morning call because what we realized is both of us were at the same kind of place, just struggling, depression, PTSD. And um, we needed a battle buddy to help us out of this hole. And both of us kind of understood what we've been through. So we started a morning call about 9 a.m. every morning. How are you doing? And uh, just checking in. What are you doing today? And that was tremendous. Like suddenly I had this person I was just connecting with. I could say whatever crazy thing was going on in my brain and he would understand no judgment, but also how are you doing? What are you moving forward towards? Somebody to constantly put that purpose and back in front of me. So we did those morning calls tremendously helping getting my life back on track and same for him. And, uh, so I decided to go down we were starting to talk about like, well, how can we use our different talents to do something good? Cause we loved doing, making a difference. That's why he became a medic. That's why I became a chaplain. So how can we bring that purpose back into our lives of actually making a difference? So I drove down to Texas, the wife and kids. We started talking, and we came up with the idea of do good. My wife came up with the name. Very cool. And there you go. What's her name? Yeah. Megan. Megan, okay. Yeah. Good Me- so Megan. she gets credit on that one. <laughs> so a lot, a lot of the stuff, the na- stuff that she names and the music often is she helps pick out a lot of the music that gets uh, added in, but... We uh, we came up with the idea for the series. We were going to focus it on veteran issues, but then we got word that Hurricane Laura was headed to Lake Charles, and so we packed up the wife and kids, came over here, boarded up the house, and after Hurricane Laura hit, I called them, and we decided that we wanted to start it and focus it on disaster relief. And so we filmed for six weeks straight, um, just looking for the people doing good, mm-hmm. the organizations that are really making a difference. But... Our struggle was, well, we were like, if people have been financially impacted because of COVID, how can they still donate? How can they still give? Because a lot of people don't have a lot to give. So what we decided to do is we would donate the proceeds from the series to those charities. That way, just by watching and sharing, they can still make a difference. It can still be a fundraiser. And uh, they can be a part of the solution and the conversation. And also, I think, too, just getting the word out about these disasters is a big part of the fight. You know, because it's in the news for the day, yeah, and then it's gone. So our goal is to change the conversation, to raise it up more on the national scale, to connect with the audiences out there to where they can come in and make a difference. And um, and the focus isn't so much on the disaster and this, these up, these, yeah, no. uh, documentaries moving forward, correct? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's focused on who, who are the heroes. So kind of like No Greater Love, I just found the heroes and let them tell their story. So we're essentially doing the same thing, but in the midst of disasters and here back home. So I really haven't changed my methodology very much. Um, it's kind of like, so you got to, you can always talk about the negative and we've been doing a lot, that a lot in this country. And it's kind of like you have a blue pin on this table. And if I said, don't think about the blue pin, don't think about the blue pin. What are you thinking about? The blue, the blue, the blue pin. pin. You can't not think about it. <laughs> so, so if we, we could talk about all the national divides, all the issues, and we've been doing that ad nauseum. And I don't think a single person out there would say that this has been effective because we're, t- we're stuck in a negative mindset and we're just sparking up hatred for one another. 
for us to shift it, we have to start looking at the problems that are going on in this country, find the heroes who are doing the positive thing and start having that positive conversation. Because then we can spiral this thing upwards. Because then people from the left and right are actually coming together. And we witness that, you know, here in the relief efforts. People on the left and right coming together, working together to help save one another. Um, so we find those heroes. We put a spotlight on them. We connect with you know audiences around the country. And then we raise support for those people. We're making a difference. And, you know, it's this disaster today, but it's we've got future disasters coming. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to be part of that conversation. Yeah, it was pretty amazing stories. Uh, I know y'all found um, there was a uh, seasoned citizen, as I like to say, who had been living in her car for a while, and then um, yeah. someone ended up helping them out and taking taking them in and finding health care and other things for them. That was yeah. a, a pretty moving, amazing story. Yeah, Miss Miss Becky and Miss Christine. And Miss Christine, 92-year-old woman, you know, she uh, – um, was married to a, a Marine who served in World War II. She was sewing uniforms for sailors uh, in World War II and you know, lived her whole life here. And um, uh, somebody found her living in her car for five months you know, out in front of her house. And this woman, is she, she, she wasn't homeless before. The storm hit. They couldn't get all of the administrative stuff knocked out. Couldn't get through the layers of bureaucracy, all that stuff, and so this uh, this was a tragic situation. But you know, because of these people who are just kind-hearted, stepping up, you know, they found out about her situation and then were able to help. And then uh, some of the audience came together, and uh, two guys in particular um, came in to rebuild her roof. And so it's weird. Whenever you get the stories out there, people do step up. You know, once the, it starts trickling across the country, people do step up. You know, it just has to be communicated out. Yeah. All right, Justin. So uh, we've enjoyed the conversation. I uh, appreciate you sharing, too, um, being pretty raw with us on feelings, emotions, and whatnot. Um, a question we ask all our guests is who or what uh, do they think is driving their car? Proverbial for what drives your life. Oh, gosh. Can I have a truck? Is that, is that <laughs> yeah, an option? Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Like, really, anything I want. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh. Take a jet. There's no uh, right or wrong answer to the question. Uh, No, I. uh, It's God. Um, You know, I would say in the good decisions I make, at least um, the bad ones, I'll take those. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's been directing and dictating what I feel I should be doing with my life and where I go. You know, from serving as a chaplain to you know working on the film and doing the 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 current film projects that I'm working on you know this is what I feel God has built me to do and um I'm trying to do the ministries laid before me to the best of my ability and um yeah it's been good yeah that's awesome yeah, it's fantastic. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, so if people want to find out more information about you, the Do Good Story, or the prior movie that we talked about, No mm-hmm. Greater Love, how would they how would they find that information? Well, for No Greater Love, it's available on Amazon Prime, so they're able to watch it. Uh, and there's also, if they just Google No Greater Love, it usually pops up. And for our current series, Do Good, all they have to do is just go to uh, Do Good Army on Facebook, and they can join the Do Good Army. Uh, or just enter in Do Good on YouTube, and then you'll see me and Hank's ugly mugs pop up. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's the one with the big old beard. And so that's the best ways to connect with us and you know to be a part of what we're up to. And that's also how you help raise money and funds mm-hmm. in the local community, yeah. correct? Yes, and so what we do is uh, all the proceeds from the videos that we do, once we reach monetization, they're just going to go straight to our local United Way and from the United Way to the designated charities that we want to support. So that way it's pure and simple, and I'm horrible at math, so I don't even have to deal with that. <laughs> so it keep, makes it easy. Yeah. Sweet. No doubt. And, man, we do appreciate you coming on. I will say personally inspired by the fact you've been through a lot in your life, uh, ups and downs. We all, we all have our own journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to say uh, we carry our crosses on earth. Uh, if not, what would be the point of eternal happiness where it's <laughs> happy for eternity? If it was yeah. perfect here, what would be yeah. the point? Um, so I appreciate you sharing them with us and, and the outlook you have, truly. John and I are sitting here, a lot of smiling, laughing, um, yeah. from both of us and just noticing it on your face 
along with the fact I would challenge our, our listeners, and maybe you can hit on this just real quick. You have seemed to use things that have happened in your life to the positive, um, your talents that God gave you, your purpose that we spoke mm-hmm. a lot about for the good uh, and still continuing to do so. And I think that is a struggle for a lot of people figuring out how to harness yeah. whatever that is for the good. And you seem to, just from my humble opinion sitting here, have done a really good job with that. Can you maybe Thank just you. touch on that for uh, the use of your talents and, and abilities? Yeah, it's like the, I, I think it's going back to wherever your passion is at. And, you know, God's designed us for something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. And so he knows the plans he has for you. He's designed you for something. And so I think so much of it is figuring out what are you passionate about, what is your your calling, who 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 makes you weep, what people group out there just break your heart that you have a desire to help, and then figuring out how to leverage you know your your passions towards helping those people. And, and it, your passion might be woodworking, so was God's, but you know <laughs> the the uh, whatever it is, there's a way to use it for the glory of God. And um, I think just becoming committed to that mission, you'll figure out how to do it. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, we appreciate you uh, joining us today. And guys, we appreciate all y'all listening. If you do get a chance to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, we'd appreciate it. And until next time, we'll catch y'all later. Aye. Hey, y'all. If you've been enjoying picking up what we've been laying down, subscribe and never miss an episode. Find us on social media and let us know who's driving your car this week. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Who's Driving Your Car Podcast. Perfect timing, sun is shining, nothing more I need. Yeah. If you feel like this your best life, won't you sing with me?